Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. So this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast, episode 34, and I've got a good friend of mine, Kendall Card on the phone. Kendall, how you doing, man? Good, Dustin. Good. Good to be with you. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, we talked months ago. Um, just, I can't even remember what we were talking about. Something to do with probably boots or hunting or something. And we talked about having you on the podcast. And so this is, uh, you know, something that's, we've been talking about for a while. So I'm glad to have you on, man. Yeah, thanks. You finally, uh, finally pinned me down. It seems <laughs> like that's a lot of people are like, dude, you're a hard guy to get a hold of. Yeah. Like, I don't uh, want to be, but it seems to be that way. Dang it. Yeah. It's been an interesting, uh, with this podcast, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I kind of, when I first launched this, I'll be honest, like I was, my biggest stress was finding people to come on. And so when I first launched this, um, I, I was hitting up like everyone I knew, like, Hey, let's have you on, let's have you on, let's have you on. And surprisingly, most of them said yes. And so right off, I mean, I started getting backed up on episodes. Like, you know, I had five or six backed up probably at the beginning, um, because I was so right. paranoid. And then I started realizing like, or, or I, I think I was spoiled. I just happened to get lucky. Like the people that I happened to reach out to said, yeah, sure. And so I kind of let that lax. And so it was getting to the point where all of a sudden it was like, I'm recording a, you know, an episode for Monday on a Friday and like, and that's, that's actually what I'm doing here is a Friday to a Monday. Anyway, um, it's just, it's just been an interesting transition. It, it seems like all of my, uh, all my lucks ran out, you know, with people that I've been <laughs> trying to get on the podcast. So I'm glad I pinned you down. Otherwise it was going to be a me flying solo episode, which I, I want to do, but I haven't done yet. I think, uh, I'm thinking maybe just like a gear dump, you know, just like dump my, my uh, gear bag and just oh, yeah. like talk about my stuff. People seem to like that. So that'd be interesting for sure. But I'm glad to have you on instead. Um, cause I think you know more about backcountry gear than I do. So, um, give your, uh, you know, give the cliche, give the, uh, kind of where you're at and, uh, you know, the two minute, um, however you want to do it. If you want to start, you know, when you're a kid or however, or just, you know, everybody does <laughs> nah, it a little my, differently. My childhood was, was pretty much like everybody else. But yeah. uh, I hunted, then I stopped hunting. Went, uh, I thought mountain climbing and, and rock climbing and riding road bikes and stuff was more interesting. So I stopped hunting for a while. and was in the ski industry and in the outdoor industry, climbing industry for a while. And did a little stint in PR online. And then my buddy and I founded Camel Fire, and then we founded Black Ovis. We started that core four element company, clothing company, and and uh, along the way during that time, I um, I moved to Camas, Utah, which I couldn't get wait to get out of the big city and move to Camas. And everybody was like hunters, and it was like I was back in my in my zone, and uh, I was like, 
dude, I loved hunting. And that was what got me initially into the outdoor and the climbing mountains and stuff. And I thought, this is, I, is I've come full circle. So I got back into hunting and I've just embraced it the last 10 years and loved it and got a bow right off the bat. And, and then, uh, then, yeah, then we started crispy, uh, we started importing crispy boots here in, 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 uh, in the U S for the last three years and sold core for element. So we've kind of done a little bit of everything and I'm a family guy. I've got five kids and lovely wife that understands my, uh, my need to be in the mountains on a regular basis. She's really cool. I, I think we've shared notes about how awesome our wives are, but I don't understand sometimes. And I feel fortunate because some guys are like, dude, my wife won't let me go, whatever. And I'm like, she, what? So, yeah, you know, fortunately, my wife will push me out the door a lot of times. But, yeah, we live here in Utah, and I'm I'm not so young anymore, but I, I'm just pushing hard to yeah. keep after it. It's funny you say that about the wives. It, it seems like, um, and, and I, I don't mean to be one-dimensional like guys are the only ones that hunt because there's plenty of backcountry female hunters but um with guys it's like it, it seems like it seems like behind every serious backcountry western backcountry hunter there's either like a really good wife or a divorce <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like and i, yeah. I hate to say that because but um you know I, anyway and i hope mine doesn't end in divorce um <laughs> <laughs> I met your wife. She's pretty cool. She, you, you better hang on to her. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah, every if you want to pursue, like when I was climbing all the time, like going to the Tetons and going up Pacific Northwest and climbing glaciers and rock climbing every chance I could. You know, a lot of, there were a lot of times my wife would go with me, but as we started having kids, she, you know, I knew there was a there's a balance, man. I know every guy knows it. You know when you're going over the edge, yeah. like. When 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 you're you're withdrawing too much and not depositing enough, and so you try and keep the balance. I mean, I think we all live on the edge. That if you're for really pursuing hunting, you, you live on a little bit on the fence line. And what sometimes you tip one way, and sometimes you tip the other. And, yeah. and uh, so anyway, it works out. But well, there's been a cool, couple of cool occasions where my wife pushes me out the door and says, "You need to, you need this." Like she yeah. knows that. Go out there. Go go get it done. So it's, you know, I love I. I love her for that. I think, I think my perspective after, you know, eight years of marriage and, you know, not, not that that's a long time, but I think that it's not the, it's not the three or four weeks a year that I hunt in the fall that makes or breaks it. It's the other 46 weeks of the year. You know what I'm saying? Like, for sure. Like if, if, if you're, if you're being a good husband and you're putting, you know, your wife first, like you should and, and vice versa, you know, she should be trying to put you first. Um, but if, if you have that type of relationship, um, it's the, it's the 46 weeks before that leading up that make or break. It's, it's not, you know, as, as Mark Smith will put it, um, you know, those problems, what happens, I think is those problems fester and they come up, you know, if you're on a 10 day hunt, you know, day, day six or day nine or whatever is when those problems that you didn't deal with in the other 46 weeks are going to come up. Um, but it's not that one week, um, usually that is the, is the straw, you know, it, it might be the straw, but it, it's not the, it's not the overall reason, I guess. Um, you know, yeah, but, I agree. You know, I agree. But c- communication and, uh, and compromise, you know, I guess is, is a good way to summarize all that, but do you, do you think um, 
It's funny you mentioned like circling back to hunting because I feel like I kind of did that a little bit. I mean, I, I don't think I ever left it, but like I was pretty serious about it as a kid. My I went with my dad and then you get into like high school sports. I played college sports, so I really didn't hunt. And I kind of was like, well, yeah, I'm a hunter, but like it wasn't anything like it is now. And then I've circled completely back. It seems like, to, like, do you think it's that way with a lot of other passions or do you think hunting is like the most popular one that that happens with now that's a great question i i think there's people that drift you know between different passions uh maybe skiing is super important to them for a while like i i mean my backcountry ski i this is the first year i have not backcountry skied like climbed a mountain and skied down it in like 22 years And, and and it's it's so yeah that shifts for people but i hunting's like one of those things that uh in my opinion, that that sometimes when push comes to shove, there's there's a large percentage of people that kind of fade out. I think it's this generation, you know, the current generation. There's more things pulling potentially. I mean, my parents, my daddy, he gave up hunting at a point because it, a lot of it was social. But it the one thing about hunting, though, for me, having gone, having spent a lot of time in the skiing and climbing industries and and, and outdoor industry, and then coming back to hunting, is hunting is like the complete package like the 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 pursuit of the animal and the kill and the harvest adds on top of everything else i was doing that, that brought me to the mountains the the going you know the finding solstice or being alone and finding really cool places to be that that other humans don't typically go find like that was all fun while i you know climbed and skied but the hunting is a full package so for me it's like you know, yeah, I lost a little bit, of, and there is a certain amount, or a certain amount of people that maybe lose that um, lose that fire for a time, and then when they realize that something's missing, like you know, hunt, there's not hunt, hunting is so powerful because it it provides every aspect of a mountain experience, in my opinion. Well, and I I think too, um, it's the most, it is the most deeply rooted instinct that we have in us. You know, absolutely. It's like whatever other example, climbing or like golf or um, whatever, you know, crocheting or whatever, whatever other uh, passion you might lose and circle back to. Like none of them, I feel like none of them have such a deep root in us like hunting does, you know. And yeah, I mean, like makes ancient hunters. Yeah. Yeah. Ancient hunters, they didn't they didn't look at a rock face and be like. Oh sweet, let's climb that. For no reason. Like, yeah. No, let's go let's go around and we'll shoot shoot the deer or whatever they're chasing, right? The, you know, if they were sitting around and were bored, they're like, that'd be pretty cool to climb. You know? So I it you know, you're right. It is instinctual and the you know, some of these other pursuits which are enjoyable and, and, and definitely have their place and, and people devote their lives to them. Particularly climbing is one that people devote their lives to. It those are yeah, kind of first world, yeah. you know, uh, privileges, I, was, I should say. So Yeah, I, I just, yeah. I, I don't know how I would get that. There's a certain um, connection or a reconnect that I get when I go into the backcountry. And I just don't, you know, I've, I, I'm a guy that tries a lot of things. You know, I've, I've, I've dabbled with, with quite a few different things, at least physical, like sports and, um, mm-hmm. you know, thing, outdoor activities, I should say. Um, and there's just, there's, there's very few, if any, that, uh, that give you that much of a, of a, uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly what the word is there, but just a connection to your past or, 
um, just a, a reconnect with your soul or whatever you want to call it. You know, there's just very few that are that raw and that um, important to me. But um, you mentioned uh, you picked up a bow. Are you, uh, you're not an archery only hunter, right? I know you've bought a couple rifles from uh, my buddy, Corey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just in the last couple of years, uh, I, I've bought two new rifles. And then last year, one of those rifles got used. I used it on my, antelope and sheep hunts and then my sons used them on two antelopes and a deer no no one antelope a deer and a cow elk so but i'm about 90 percent archery uh, i it, you know again i, I love rifle hunting it, it's been really fun this last year and a half or so but it, i'm most of the time i'm I, archery you know primarily yeah, I know I was archery for quite a few years there exclusively and finally just decided that, um, you know, I, I definitely love just hunting, hunting and specifically hunting the backcountry more than I cared about what weapon I was hunting with. Um, and if I was being honest with myself, a rifle hunt was just as fun, like you said, if not, you know, more fun sometimes. And I was still able to get the exact same experience of the backcountry, um, you know, and so, yeah, I, I'll, I'll shoot them with a, whatever, a rifle, a muzzleloader, bazooka, whatever they'll let me hunt them with now. So what, what I've, what I've experienced is people, the, my perception coming back into, into the world of hunting, you know, there's a few things I've kind of, that were surprised about like points. I didn't even know, like, what did it, what that animal score? I'd never even heard that before as a kid. <laughs> it's like, I don't care. It's, what's a score? Like I score was like for Friday night at the football game, but you know, not Saturday when I'm out hunting, but then, but the one thing that was, um, <clears throat> that, that the perception is that, that rifle is less than archery, like a lot, particularly in archer's eyes. It's just a different, it's a, it's a, it's not less than it's, it's so much different in my opinion. It, it's a different experience. It's, uh, you know, e some people obviously say it's easier and while certainly, you know, the harvest is not, you know, the what, three of the three of those five animals that were killed, you know, with a rifle this year, you know, there's no way they would have died with, with, a, with a bow, but I, mean, I love to kill stuff too. So that's, it's effective, but it's a different experience, well, not less than of an experience. And, in my opinion. And, and that's, that's interesting. I think because, you know, the important, uh, the important principle to pull from that is like, I'm afraid that the very thing that's separating the hunting world a lot of times is that exact mentality right there the the very fact that an archery hunter looks at rifle hunting and even classifies it as easier because we all know that it is like there's no question but that's not why we all hunt anyway and so the very the very principle of an archery hunter looking at a rifle hunt and 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 criticizing a guy on social media or whatever um is the it like that's the very thing that's, that's like separating us. I, I think, you know, that just like it, it shouldn't matter. And so don't bring it up. You know, it's like, it's not like, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just, you know, you can tell I, it's, it's an, an itch for me that, uh, but what, uh, it's all fun, right? We just love to get out there and be in the mountains and kill stuff. If we get an opportunity and fill the freezers and, and spend time with, you know, either by ourselves, which I enjoy. I love hunting by myself, uh, or spend time with, you know, family or friends. It's, 
there's all aspects. It's when we start comparing like our experience to somebody else's experience and saying, oh, well, our experience is better or superior because of the weapon or how deep in the backcountry we went or right. that we did, you know, we walked in versus like rode in on an ATV. When we start comparing in everything in life, of course, you start to lose the value of the why. Yeah, you've, and, you've got and, the wrong reason. It's And, and the problem, totally. the, the problem is that we live in like a sports-centered world, I think. And so we look at hunting as a collective, almost like whatever, a game of golf. And, and we, instead of the playing field being even and us being able to compare each other, you know, like golfers would compare each other at the end of a four day series or whatever, or, a, you know, a, a, what is it, a tournament? Jeez, you can tell I'm not a golfer. Tournament, yep. Um, you know, it's the equivalent of like, oh, well, this guy, you know, he was golfing a different course that had, you know, whatever, easier greens or, you know, he was teeing off from the ladies tees and I was teeing off from the, you know, the extreme guys tees or whatever, like, and it's, and again, like you said, it's the why it's like that. That's not the why, like, that's not why we hunt for the, the competition of it. Um, no. interesting. What, uh, what do you generally speaking, what do you look for in a backcountry hunt when you're like putting something down on an application? What are kind of general criteria? Well, I think it's uh, a lot of what others aspire to or want is um, I'm looking for more location, um, either the type of terrain that I want or um, the ability to distance myself, you know, at the least from from either civilization, you know, every everything I've been kind of taught in backcountry hunting, not everything, but a lot of it is come from my friend Justin, uh, who got me into, into bow hunting, but, you know, so I'm always looking for these little pockets and holes that are away from some sort of civilization. And my assumption is that they're away from people more so now people are, you know, and good, for, good for all the guys that both listen to this podcast, as well as that pursue backcountry hunting, or even just desire to pursue it. It, I mean, it, I love to see that everybody's, uh, you know, getting interested in it and, fit enough to start exploring deeper. Um, it's challenging though, if you're trying to get away from everybody, but, mm -hmm. uh, those are some of the things that I look for. I'm not as tied up into size. Um, I'm more like, I mean, I get trigger happy, man. If I see something move with antlers, I start getting like twitchy, uh, even a spike. I'm like, Woo. So I'm like, that's a booner, you know, let's, let's, <laughs> That's that's by that's a that's a wall hanger spike. Let's go and and uh, you know I've been known to go far far too far on a stock for you know a class of animal that most people would just bypass. But um, so I'm not as you know as tied up into class of animals, which really opens up for me. You know it's nice because it opened up more area. I can go a lot. I can go to a lot more units in different states or here in Utah where I'm perfectly content pursuing an animal where others, you know, just kind of breeze over. And that's fine too, right? I, I killed a really nice, you know, what I thought was a super unique three point, but it wasn't the three point that was unique about it because I had passed on him earlier in the day. It was the actual experience of the stock, you know, two years ago in Colorado. That was what was more interesting to me. So I look for areas that where I can hopefully get away and, you know, be challenged physically by the terrain. And then, uh, if we can find species, you know, they're, 
find animals that are nice or and, and more importantly get away from people it's that's more important to me do you have uh like what you would be able to verbalize as an application strategy throughout the west or are you just kind of hit and miss or what? yeah i i don't know i mean i uh so i i use go hunt and i use hunt and fool i you have i subscribe to both of them so that i can track like you know get all the information i want um you know, no plug for either of those guys. I don't have any relationship to either of them. But the um, I just keep my own spreadsheet for me, and then I have tabs for my three boys, and then actually for my business partner, I I do his too. Mm-hmm. But I don't really have a strategy. I I'm looking. Um, I primarily want to have a good archery elk experience in the middle of September. Um, so I I round things kind of around that, and then. Um, you know, I keep, I have, I've only had dabbled in, in Nevada and people are always like, why aren't you putting in more in Nevada or Arizona? And I'm just like, there's only just so many, so many weeks in a year, but, mm-hmm. um, so no real strategy, I guess I'm kind of building points in a couple different States. I've got enough points here in Utah for the certain tag for the elk tag I wanted three years ago, but now it's not the elk tag I want mostly because it conflicts with that Colorado backcountry deer hunt I do now. Um, with Justin South, but, um, so yeah, no real strategy other than I just, I'm keeping track of things. The way I keep track of things is just a spreadsheet with, you know, points gain and, and I keep looking at what areas I like as, uh, you know, but again, like I said before, because I'm, you know, like a 160 class buck that's got fuzzy on it. I'm like, yeehaw, let's do this. Um, where most guys are like, no, if it's not 180 or 190 above, I'm not interested. So I'm well, open to a lot of different areas. And I can, I'm more interested, after I had a, had a bad experience, not just a bad experience for me, in Colorado like four or five years ago, I put in for a tag, and my buddy was, it might have been five or six, and he was like, do you put in for this as a first, and then do this as your second choice, and you'll draw it, no problem. Well, I didn't, I had enough points, I could have drawn it, with my first choice, but he's like, no, no, you'll want to keep your points put in. Didn't even, didn't draw as my second, second choice. Like he thought I would. Kind of outsmarted yourself. (laughs) Yeah. I have, I have another point, but I don't have a tag and I don't even care about the point. I just want the tag. So it's like, that's stupid. Why am I gaining points when I just want a tag? I want the experience of hunting. I don't care if I'm hunting a, you know, whatever, 200 inch deer versus a 160 inch deer. I, I don't care. I, I just want to hunt. So now that's my, I guess my overall strategy is I just want to make sure I'm hunting every year. You know, and we, uh, that's, that's, uh, there's a quite a few good points in there. Um, I mean the, the fact that, um, you're keeping, you know, a spreadsheet or whatever is, you know, puts you in the top probably 1% or 5% or whatever. Um, because a lot of guys just, um, you know, they're, they're maybe only applying in their home state for just a deer tag or general deer tag or whatever. I mean, there, there's guys in Utah, for example, I'm like, oh, well, you know, you, I didn't draw my, you know, I didn't draw my, uh, my general tag. And I say, oh, well, you know, at least you're building points, I guess, for like a, or, or maybe they did draw their general tag, I guess, is a better way to put it. And they're, they're disappointed in the size of deer that they hunted that year is, is usually how it goes. And I say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, you're getting experience for your limited entry hunt, though, right? Well, 
and you come to find out like they're not even applying for the limited entry hunt in their own state for an extra 10 or 15 bucks or whatever you know it's like so i mean just the fact that you're doing that but um yeah it, it sounds to me like you're you're kind of like us um you know we we had a mess of points in wyoming um a few years back and because we had originally started going after a certain unit um that unit got overpopulated and we just we decided that we were you know the decision came um there was a there was a secondary unit that we wanted to hunt instead and it didn't take half the points that we had i mean it was you know we were well beyond the amount of points but it didn't matter um and we ended up cashing in our points for the lesser unit um just because we would have that extra year of experience, you know, yeah, we could have waited one more year and drawn the better tag, but then we were going to switch over to the kind of the secondary unit anyway. And so I would rather burn all those points, hunt a unit that I get to hunt, you know, every two years or whatever now, um, because that man, how much more valuable is it to hunt a unit multiple years in a row? Are you guys learning that in Colorado? Mm -hmm. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It's interesting because you said, you burned, you burned your points. Sometimes when you look at the results, draw results, and you'll see, like, let's say, like the Manti in Utah, it's, it's, uh, I could have drawn it with max points this year, eight points or nine points, whatever I have. I think I have eight. Um, and sometimes you'll see, like, someone spent 12 points to draw an eight-point, you know, max, and you're like, what? <laughs> like, what was that guy thinking? What he was thinking, in my opinion, is, is sometimes people are like, that guy wasted all those points. Like, no, he wanted to hunt in yeah. the story. Like you want, you guys wanted to hunt, like do you want to hunt this year or you want to maybe hunt next year or you want to for sure hunt the following year? Well, I want to hunt this year. That's, that's my, that's my approach. And it sounds like you guys are kind of that. I want to hunt more often and, and I want to, and you know, the secondary piece he said is you start to learn a unit. Like, like I'm learning Col you know, Colorado last two years. I'm, I mean, I, as I, as we left Colorado, I happened to be the last guy out. I was making that second run with that for my elk with the llamas. And as I crested over the last ridge before I really dropped down out of the main basin, I mean, I look back like almost like sad, like I was leaving a friend behind and that was weird. It was cool. Cause I'm like, I know this country, this country and me are creating a relationship as strange as that may sound. And, uh, I'm already stoked to go back in. So yeah, it it's fun to learn a country, and if you hunt it more often, of course you're going to learn it more often. Yeah, yeah, I would, uh, you know, and I'm just going to generalize here, but I would rather hunt, let's say, a unit that has um, holds 170 bucks with a potential 180 plus. I would rather hunt that every other year or every year than a unit that is known for holding a 200 inch deer every 10 years. And there's, but there's, uh, oh yeah, right. 100%. I mean, there's, there's plenty of guys out there that are, that are playing that. The, the elk tags in Nevada, in Utah, I think, are, are some of the, well, and I just say that because that's where I'm familiar with uh, that in Nevada. But I mean, there, there's guys that are, my uncle, he just held out for like 18 or 19 years. And it's the first time that he's ever, he drew a, he drew a rifle elk tag uh, in Utah this year during the rut, but it's the first bull elk tag that he's ever had and i'm like he he would always call me like what what do you think i should do before the application season for like the last two or three years 
And every year I jokingly am like, I think you should have cashed out around eight points. You know, <laughs> like I, I would have hunted twice by now. <laughs> but well, what's interesting too is is so you know you're we're talking you know your focus is backcountry hunting. Backcountry hunting is is such that if you don't do it fairly often, you won't hone your skill to be able to to get better and better. Not and not just the hunting part, but like getting proficient with moving camp, you know, or getting proficient with, you know, honing down your gear. The first time you go in on backcountry hunt, you have like 30% of the stuff that you bring, you don't even use. And, and 20% of the other stuff that you did use, you only used because you felt obligated to use it because you brought it all the way in there. So, you know, really, you know, it takes three, four, five years of, of experience for, till you really feel like, okay, I can call myself a backcountry hunter now, and I've honed my skills. So if your if your tag strategy and ex, and ex, experience opportunity leads you to only hunt in the backcountry or hunt a, a you know a really focused hunt like like your uncle is you know once every eighteen years, you know once every seven years, uh, it's like. Yeah. Man, I hope you live a long time and that your your joints hold up well into your seventies. So, well, and that's, otherwise you're going to have to compromise what you really want. That is probably one of the best points I've heard, um, you know, because you're right. I mean, you know, growing up, we would hunt these, um, these rifle hunts here in Nevada that were, you know, you couldn't scout them. They were just kind of, you just showed up, hope the deer were migrated into the unit. It was one of those migration, late migration hunts. We would hunt the last weekend of the hunt usually, and it didn't really matter. Like once you learned how to hunt, it didn't matter because you were camping out of the the trailer, you're driving your four wheeler to the end of the road. There was only so many little pockets and we knew every single one of them. We've been hunting it for four generations now. And so you're right. Like if I didn't draw a tag for five years, guess what? On that fifth year, when I did draw a tag, I was going to be just as successful as if I had hunted it every year because we just figured it out. But backcountry hunting, that's one of the best points I've heard. It, it is you're not only a hunter, but you're a, you're a backcountry hiker. And, and that in and of itself is such a skill and such a, you know, such a separation between guys who are just getting into it. Um, it's a whole nother, it's a whole nother passion that you're trying to learn. Um, and man, what a good point. Like, yeah. What's, uh, what's, what's some of the, speaking of like getting into backcountry hunting, what's, what's one of the biggest mistakes that you see new backcountry hunters make uh, when they're just, you know, heading into the backcountry for the first year or something like that? Well, I, I think there's two um, that stand out in my mind. Number one is um, guys wait too long before they have all the best stuff. Like, they're like, I'm, I'm going to go when I get, like, the best boots, the best stove, the best this, the best that. And if you're financially not able to accomplish that, like within a six-month period, which, you know, you could easily pull off if you had all the finances in, in line, if you can't do that, then you're, you're just going to delay the inevitable. Um, and because you think that you can, can learn all that before your first experience. The reality is you're going to have to suffer a little bit. Like everything in life, you're going to have to take some lumps to get good at something, you know, whether it's fishing or hunting or accounting or whatever, you know, buying stocks or selling insurance like we do do or whatever 
you're going to have to take some lumps because that's part of the learning process. So the first mistake is guys wait. If they can't financially get all the stuff they want, they wait till they kind of get all the thing, all their ducks in a row, and then they go in. And what they realize is they didn't really, they weren't prepared anyways. So it's like, just go in. Just just go. Seriously. Like, Remember when we were growing up? I mean, you're younger than I am, but we were wearing, I, I saw an old picture. I was wearing tough skins and like a, like a ratty old little poppy thing and Levi's and I had like tennis shoes. Yeah. Levi's basketball hiking shoes. We still got it done, but all that experience helped like us realize, Oh, jeans are not really effective hunting when it gets snowy and cold. Okay, perfect. You know, and we added up all those things and now we, we get better. That's the first thing. The second thing I think is, is, um, people, you, you, they think you need, you, you think you need more than you actually need. You can get by with less. Um, and so I think the first major experience, I mean, even my, see, I was fortunate because I was, you know, backpacking and climbing mountains and stuff. And so three day, four day climbing trips. So I already had the whole like stoves and filtering water and camping and backpacking and tents. And I already had all that experience. So when I first started backpack hunting, um, it was like, sure, I'm adding a weapon, a little different, adding some optics, which I never had before. But I used to have climbing ropes and other stuff like that. So it kind of a trade-off as far as weight. But what what guys realize is they're, you know, most a lot of stuff you take, you don't use. And that's there's a learning curve with that, too. So those are probably the two primary things. Either guys don't start soon enough because they don't have all the right equipment, or they take far too much stuff in. And it becomes a little bit of an albatross. Man, now, I remember these, these. Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, those are kind of you know on par with what you've experienced. Oh, those are those are perfect, man. Um, you know, you hear. I think uh, Cody Rich kind of has coined it a little bit, or he's the at least the first one that I've heard talk about it. But by spend your money on tags, not gear, and you know, and he doesn't mean not to go into the backcountry with a with a tent and not go in with a sleeping bag or boots, but like I just went through this with uh, one of my buddies, Tyler, who's um, getting into backcountry hunting this year. He's hunted for quite a while, but he's getting into backcountry hunting. He's like, "What, what sleeping bag should I get?" I got on. I found him like a hundred dollar discounted, like synthetic, um, you know, twenty degree bag that's going to be a little bit bulky and a little bit bigger and a little bit heavier than you know my nice marmot down, you know, zero degree bag or whatever. But I'm like this one. Like, you don't even know if you like backcountry hunting, you know, just, but spend your money. I would rather have entry level gear and three tags or whatever, as many tags as I can fit into my schedule than mid or high level gear and one, one tag. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like there's a, there's a bag, you know, cause I, we sell gear, so I know I'm pretty familiar with it, but like there's. Like Kelty makes a bag called a Tusk, 20-degree bag. It compresses down pretty dang small, and it's like 90 bucks. And I've slept in it. It's a great bag. It's a killer bag. For the money, it's, it's like, phenomenal. You know, I also have a Marmot Hydrogen that's a 30-degree bag, 850 down. It's like $300. It's like, do I really need that? Well, yeah, the ounce saving is nice, and it's plush, and sure, it kind of, you know, Maybe makes me smile a little more because I'm in a fancier sleeping bag. Whatever, like whatever makes you feel good at night. But a guy could get into an eighty, ninety dollar sleeping bag, and yeah, maybe Kelty's not as cool as Marmot or Mountain Hardware, 
but it's like, don't let that get in your way. To that point, last year I was coming out of Colorado. I was by myself, had, had your two llamas with me and, uh, it just started, it started to rain a little bit. And I, I was like, man, I want to make it to the trailhead. And I had my, I had, I called in a packer because otherwise it would have taken me an extra day. So I called a packer. He took the meat and he met me part way. And I had all the camp gear, some of the gear from the guys. And then the, I had the, uh, my elk on my back. It wasn't a huge bolt, like a little, little rag one five. And I get down there and there's these two dudes and I'm like, what are you? And I, I mean, I wanted to stop him and be like, you know, the, the gear salesman to me was like, <laughs> dude, we need to have a little, we're going to have a little fireside. Let's have a chit chat. And, you know, but I didn't, they were just so enthusiastic. And one guy had a duffel bag strapped onto like a military style backpack that was, that was bigger around than like a beer belly on a, you know, 500 pound guy. I mean, it was, it just was round. This backpack was round with a, and then his sleeping bag was in a plastic bag, like, like strapped to the underside. And he had like a headband on and, and they're just like, you know, full Southern accent. Whoa, you got one, you know? And I was just like, Hey guys. And I was, and they were as happy as a couple of kids in a candy store. And they were, they were just like beaming with excitement. Did you hear any up there? And I was like, you know, the elk were breathing a little bit, but my point is, is they, I'm glad that they were there rather than like not come because they didn't have all their fancy stuff. And you know, here I, I'm looking at their, their backpack and here I am wearing a backpack that's like $500. And you know, I'm like the amount of gear I've got on the llamas and me is far exceeds what cost these guys. And their clothing was kind of like so, so, but I was most encouraged by that they were actually there versus you know, I definitely, like I said, I wanted to pull them aside and be like, okay, guys, we're going to, but it was too late, right? Like, <laughs> I'm like, I wish I would have talked to you guys a month ago. Um, but it was cool. They got out and, and who knows, maybe they, maybe they didn't see a thing. Um, but that's, that's what I think more hunters need to be aware of is just get out there. You're going to suffer a little bit. You're going to, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to learn a ton, a lot more than you would by sitting behind your computer, you know, surfing the, the forums. Well, and, and, and you brought up kind of another, um, another point, um, and, and what I call it or what I refer to it as packing your insecurities. Um, and, and the point, uh. the, the point that I want to make is, you know, we're, we're talking about starting with entry level gear. If you're a backcountry guy, that's just getting into it. Right. And the, the argument that you're making with yourself is, well, yeah, but that $90 sleeping bag weighs six ounces more or eight ounces more than the $300 sleeping bag. And, and that's a fact it does. Here's, here's the more important point to remember is that six or eight ounce difference between your sleeping bag being, you know, a hundred and two hundred and ten dollars or whatever cheaper, you will more than you will more than make up for that by packing your insecurities on the back end with things that you don't need. Does that make sense? Like, so You're going to add more. You're worried about like, well, for me, I justify spending my money on those, on those high dollar items because the ounces, but really when I was getting into it, I was, I was putting more weight in my pack from crap that I didn't need to be taking than I was from buying cheap gear and not having the best stuff, if that makes sense. And so, Mm -hmm. (laughs) man, 
taking i take an inventory of the other you know the the auxiliary items i'll call them that you know guess what you don't need six pair of underwear for a six-day hunt in the backcountry you just yeah. don't get get over that right now you know i if i'm going on a seven-day hunt i might pack two pair of underwear what what, what I'm, I'm always curious what uh where are you at on the clothing thing i mean what what will you pack for like a say a seven-day hunt for clothing wise for Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. So, um, I, so I, well, am I taking llamas or is it all me? <laughs> <laughs> that has, that's been a game changer. I'll tell you what. Let's, let's I, say I you're not quite hooked, fond of those. Let's say you're not hooked up with backcountry logistics yet. And you're just going on <laughs> foot. The, um, for a seven day hunt, I will, I, most of the time I'll take two pairs of underwear. Once in a while, I'll take a third, and it will stay at camp, and I put that on to sleep in just so I feel at least a little clean while I'm sleeping at night, and that's a creature comfort I allow myself. Um, I don't, switching just a little bit off the topic, and I'll come back to it, I don't, as far as ounce counting, I don't ounce count when it comes to my sleeping system. Um, like, I will take in the, the little uh, Helinox, like, and just, I've just done this the last couple of years, the Helinox um, uh, backcountry cot, and yeah, it's an extra, you know, 14, 16 ounces, but I will get such a better sleep because of that and be more refreshed. I'll, I'll shave ounces off of other other areas to yeah. to account for that, but clothing-wise, I usually take one pair of pants. Um, I'll usually go with a little bit lighter sleeping bag, so I'll go with a 30-degree versus a 20 or 15, and then I'll plan on sleeping in you know, that one base, that, you know, I'll take one pair of pants, one base layer of merino, a top base layer of merino, a down jacket. I never go anywhere without a down or a puff or a synthetic puffy jacket. Um, and then I'll have usually like a hooded, I, I, I wear a lot of Sitka, so I'll wear like the hooded uh, 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 traverse layer. It's their, kind of their heavyweight hooded um, ball cap. And, you know, that's pretty much it. Two, two pairs of socks typically. And, uh, you know, I'll kind of go back and forth. So one, one day, one, the next day. Um, yeah, I don't, I've gotten better, but, but, you know, I still ask myself the same, like, well, what if it snows or what if, you know, then rain gear, of course. What, what if I need my full Leatherman with 32 options yeah, of and I know. tools? Like you just, you just don't, you know, <laughs> you just... you'll, you'll, what if yourself into 15 more pounds of yeah. stuff. And, and I don't want to, you know, I'm kind of an optimist by nature, but. I don't want to say like, oh, nothing's ever going to happen. Like, you know, what if I fall and cut my arm open or something? Like, well, yeah, um, I want to prepare, I suppose, for some of those things. But it, you have to, you have to be careful. You have to be pretty ju judicious when it comes to the what if questions yeah. when you're packing for, you know, getting in and getting out. And you have to be confident. Perhaps I don't know if this maybe is your bigger experience, but perhaps as we get more confident the what if questions answer themselves a little easier because we're like, no, I can do this. I can pull this off. Whereas before you, you know, when you're first starting out, it's, it's, it's unfamiliar and it's hard and you, and you're not certain of yourself or your, your equipment. Yeah. Well, what I, what I've decided with the what ifs, at least medical wise is frankly like, you know, you know, and now my brother's a, a pair a medic. And so he could probably pull some of this stuff, but like, the fact is, um, you know, if, if something goes seriously wrong, like I, I'm not, 
I'm not going to be able to like, what are you going to do with the, you know, with the extra bandaid or a, a, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there, there was just so many things like that that was like, well, this isn't really going to solve a problem of a serious problem anyway. And I'm not saying don't pack band-aids. They don't weigh anything, but like, but th there's just so many little things like that where it was like, well, like, yeah, if, if I actually needed this, like, it's not, it's not going to help anything anyway. Like it's going to be so far beyond that. And so, yeah, I'm, I, I'm the same way. I'm a minimalist. Um, not, not crazy minimalist. Like there's guys out there that are a whole nother level. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. That's not me either. Yeah. But you know, I've, I've, I feel pretty honed. What, what will your, uh, what will your pack, what, what's like a pack weight, um, for say like a five or a seven day, uh, backpack hunt no llamas no pack llamas like what uh, what would you be looking at uh, i usually push um if i don't have, I don't have llamas obviously some of the creature comforts are staying home smoked salmon staying home <laughs> the cantaloupe is staying home mountain dew <laughs> but we <laughs> haven't done soda yet but uh like anyway but i'll probably be around 60 65 pounds um with food uh, food you know and water, water. Um, yeah yeah if i'm if I'm taking like what two two years ago when we first used the llamas, I think my pack we t I took a bunch of creature comforts and I think I was still, you know, but there were actually five of us. Was that the that the year we just had Arnie and uh, and uh, Malcolm? Yeah, Malcolm. I think we just had the two llamas, so five guys, two llamas. So I didn't really offload a lot. I I was at like forty six pounds. Uh, with my weapon, um, so it was still pretty. Ha it was still fairly heavy. Um, forty six. Forty six with your weapon. Yeah, yeah. So that's, we we were still. Yeah, that's. But yeah, that, that was forty eight. With llamas, though. Mm -hmm. But there was, you know, there was there were five of us loading in in you know camera gear. Wes had camera gear. Gotcha. And Jay Jay always carries his own stuff. The guys. You know Jay Byer? He's he's a guy I hunt with that shoots shoots pictures for uh, Sitka, and he he's a flipping animal. He's a great he, he's good at packing animals. He's <laughs> I owe him more than once. That's but. uh that's Corey too. If you've never hunted with Corey, that's why we keep him around because he uh, he's our pack mule. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Both yeah. those guys are same stature, like six one, and just like just, three percent yeah. body body fat. <laughs> yeah. What's uh, what's something new that's going to be in your pack this year? Are you uh, are you one of those guys that kind of tries something new every year? Um, yeah, I think I think I am. I guess I. Uh, I mean, super simple. I'm I'm uh, I, I've always been a sport guy, and I finally realized that sports are completely lame and inefficient. Um, the most efficient tool for getting stuff into my mouth is a spoon. So I'm I'm switching over to that Sea to Summit long, the super long one. Because I in the past, I, yeah, yeah, the titanium long one. Because uh, in the past, I'll, I'll take my mountain house meal or, or whatever, you know, the the whatever I'm using, Mary Jane's, I've done some of that, backcountry pantry and Heather's Choice, and I'll actually cut the uh, just cut the package right in half after it's cooked, so that I don't have to get my hand like all dirt, you know, food in it. So that's coming in my pack this year. I'm this. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be. Uh, I try. I'm trying out the the Kafaru tent this year. Mm -hmm. um, so that'll be new for Justin and I in Colorado. Uh, I've always I've been using a marmot um, uh, tent the last couple of years that I've loved. 
and then, then a big Agnes guy before that. So a couple of new things I'm going to try this year. Um, I think. What's something that uh, you're pulling out maybe that you're going to leave home that you've been packing or, or maybe not even from last year, but something you've pulled out in the last couple of years that you just don't take anymore? Oh, good question. There's a bunch of stuff in my medical kit that I pulled out um, and knock on wood that I won't have to use it because of what I'm finding is that it's redundant, not just for me, but, you know, do I need 17 Band-Aids? No, I need mm-hmm. like five. Um, and I've trimmed that thing because it was kind of a brick. I mean, I'd look at it like, oh, really? But I answer the what if question every time, like, yeah, I'm throwing it in. Um, my sister, the nurse, and got me like sutures. And, I mean, all this contraband that I'm sure that most, you know, most people aren't safe to even have in their possession. But she, uh, so I've trimmed that thing down big time. And I probably, I probably shaved like six, seven ounces off of my medical kit. Um, so some of those things out of there, I, Good question. I I can't think off the top of my head of something that I'm that I'm that I've pitched this last couple of years. Yeah, that um, that usually happens kind of the beginning of the learning curve. You know, the first few years of backcountry hunting, it seems like you're like, okay, like this this is just stupid. I don't need this anymore. Sure. But. And what well, the other thing too is is uh, you know, and this happens, I'm sure. You, you communicate with your backcountry partner a lot. You're talking gear, this and that. When it actually comes to it and you're at the trailhead, you just throw your packs on and roll. And you get to camp six, six miles in or three miles in or 13 miles in, whatever distance you're going. And you start pulling stuff out and you realize, oh, dude, that guy brought a battery backup as well. And that guy bought this as well. And all of a sudden, you're, like, you each brought toothpaste and you each brought this and that. And, and you're like, dude, I mean, as much as you communicate with your backcountry partner, I think it's get very nitty-gritty at the trailhead so that you can save yourself those, you know, six or eight items that you and your backcountry, you know, hunting partner can, can share. Yeah, stoves, you know? stoves is one of those uh, for us. Unless, you know. And you and, need and, three stoves between yeah, the two of you? I mean, no. do, you, do you really need three stoves? No. And, and in fact, these quick boil, uh, you know, these fast boiling stoves now, I mean, you know, you can have uh, three things of water boiled and in your uh, freeze-dried food faster than you used to be able to do it with the open flame ones. Um, yeah, So that's, sure. you know, each guy packs their own fuel can. Um, and we usually, we usually don't even worry about that. We just leave the one on there that's on there and we just burn through it and then we, you know, get the next one. Frankly, now that I think about that, I don't know that I've ever burned through an ad. Have you ever burned through a fuel can, honestly? Like, or are you like me? I'm, I literally have a tub right here that's full of probably 18 <laughs> or 20 partially empty fuel cans. Are you have the same thing? Dude, those things are the worst. They're like, they're, I've got half a dozen at least in my garage, and I, and I shake, you know, and every time you look at them, you shake them, right? You're like, <laughs> I don't know if it's it. Ooh, I don't oh, know. Yeah, there's still a little in there. <laughs> I'll just oh, get another yeah, one. That one still has some. Yeah. Like, golly. But we, no, I actually have burned through some. On, on last year, I burned through two small ones. Because um, uh, I use a, so I, I've been back and forth between sto- stove systems. I've got a little titanium cup and a little, uh, I had a, um, a Primus that I cut the arms off of so it would fit better in my titanium cup. Because um, I'm, I'm only cooking with a little titanium cup, so I don't need, like six inches of, you know, six inch diameter of the arms. So I hacksawed them and then filed them down. And I've carried that for a long time, but I got a little snow peak, a little into guy that goes in a, 
in a Primus uh, titanium cup, which I actually like that one a little bit better. But I've got the, the MSR wind boiler. Um, I've, I've been loving that one. And so some typically what, like what, like with Jay and I are going hunting, uh, I'll actually, we'll actually bring two stoves. And the reason we do that is I'll bring the, we'll leave the, uh, the, you the jet boiler and in my case, the MSR at camp. And that's what we cook at night. And then when we're out rallying wherever, Jay is a big coffee guy, so he's always brewing up coffee in the morning. So we'll get to our first glassing point, and that guy's like, I haven't even got my tripod set up, and I was like, <laughs> I can just hear him just, he's over there in his crazy creek, just kind of like, what's up, boys? Like, you know, order up. He's a little barista. And so, but we we often will cook like a you know, noontime when we're just sitting in, in glassing or whatever. See, we'll brew up some food, but we... That, that's an we always take a titanium of, cup for that. Yeah, that's that's an advantage of being a Mormon because you know we we drink our coffee cold, and what I mean by that is we <laughs> <laughs> we just have our uh, you know like a mountain mountain ops uh, you know ignite or something like that. The the you know let, let's be honest, it still gives you a little wake up, um, but we don't boil and drink actual co- coffee. I'm gonna get. But we uh, so we carry we carry the other stove. Um, so in those instances, but if I'm going solo just by myself, I, 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 I leave the jet boiler or the, the, uh, prime, the, uh, the MSR at home. And I always take that little titanium cup volume wise. It's, it's a lot smaller. It's almost half the size of a full size jet boil. Um, and secondly, it's, it's compact. It's, uh, it's light. I am saving a few ounces there and, uh, yeah, it burns slower. You know, it's this slower boiling point, but, um, I like it. I like a lot better that way. Awesome. What do you pack for, uh, um, like your weapon, uh, for archery hunt specifically, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, replacement gear. Do you, do you pack like a field press and a new string? Do you pack like an extra release? What do you, what do you extras do you bring with your bow or do you just kind of have what you have on your bow? No, great question. I, um, I always take, uh, between me and, and whoever I'm hunting with, we always take uh, one little teeny Allen wrench set. Um, I've tried to find some of them that are lighter that, that have like, and sometimes we'll take just the three that we absolutely need, yep. um, you know, the two or three. And I always take an extra release, always. Uh, one time I stopped to take care of, you know, tip over a rock and take care of some business, and I left my release sitting there. Fortunately, like, I, you know, because then I an animal and was like oh went back and actually found it but i always take an extra release um and uh and then i don't take any sort of extra string or field press we'll usually leave that at the truck mm-hmm. um so that if it if it really gets bad then you know i can hike out spend half a day hiking out um and figure that thing out but then uh um arrows arrow wise we you know my quiver's full i use a tight spot five five arrow quiver i should go to the seven after years ago emptying my entire quiver on one deer um which was yeah, and and i didn't feel so bad because south did the same thing the next day um and we both laughed about it but the uh um i take those five arrows and then i usually have we'll take the eastern arrow tube and we'll have like three more arrows per person in in that tube so yeah. that's what i that's the extra archery equipment i take extra little like d loop or anything like that I don't take any of that stuff. I've been fortunate, but I don't. You, you could make shift uh, a D loop pretty easy out of like a shoelace or a P cord or, or something. Paracord, if you yeah. Had to. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You mentioned uh, South a few times. What's, uh, you know, and, and anyone who's not familiar with him, and, and he's kind of a, in my opinion, he's kind of a living legend um, as far as how he gets it done with the stick bow. Um, what's, what's one thing that you've learned uh, from hunting the high country mule deer with him? So, yeah, South is, uh, it's been a real privilege to hunt with him, and he's, he's as down to earth as anyone. You obviously know South. Um, the guy, he's, he's so humble, and I'm so impressed by the person he is as, as a hunter. You know, I haven't followed him for 30 years like everybody else, you know, that's been in hunting. But as a hunter, um, you know, I also respect him and I understand. But the, the one thing, there's a ton of things. Watching him go on a stock is, is awesome. I mean, it's just the choices he makes and the routes he takes um, is is always you know it's like schools in session, and I'm just taking notes. But uh, the main thing that I think I, I picked up from him, you know, these last two years hunting with him, and, and I'm looking forward for this year, is that uh, is how he chooses which animal to stalk. You know, because he a he knows his weapon and the distance he needs to you know be able to shoot within. Um, me, I, you know, as, as a younger hunter, uh, you know, only 10 years as a bow hunter, this is my 10th season, I'm still kind of like, oh, there's an animal, let's go. <laughs> and, like, I'm off. And, 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 you know, he's very patient, very um, methodical. He's not choosy, so as choosy as, as some others. Um, you know, Justin, who's, who's our common friend, you know, Justin's very picky. Like, he's very picky about a particular deer. You mean picky Me, with, like, with size, right? Size, yeah, size, school. yeah. And South, but, the, the you know, I see deer that bed in spots, and I'm like, South, go. And he'll just wait. He's patient when he needs, when he can be patient, which is kind of a weird statement. But when it's go time, he moves so fast. Like, like he knows when to move at what speed. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Like, like me, I'm like 150 yards out and I'm tiptoeing and he's like, he's at a, you know, casual jog and I'm like, what? you know, and he's like, move. So I've learned both when to start a stock, you know, when you can be patient and, and how to select like a stockable deer and, you know, and he'll stay put, he'll stay put far much, lo far longer than I, I even just like, let's move down the ridge a little ways. He'll just stay put and watch and watch and watch and watch. But then when he gets to a stalking point, he moves quickly when he knows. And it's experience, and it's also, you know, time has is, is, is given him that. But he moves very, very quickly uh, when when he's out of sight. You know, not many, and maybe he's able to move more efficiently and quieter. Um, definitely when he takes his pants off, he moves quieter. It's funny to watch him do that. I watched him do that last year. I was like, what is he doing? And I was above him on the space, stalking another deer, and actually at the same time it was kind of interesting. Um, but then, then he, when he it, when he gets within a certain zone, he then starts to move slowly. And I think a lot of us move slow too much, yeah. you know, when we're still 300 yards out, thinking, well, what if? Again, there's the what if? What if the deer pokes his head up? Or what if, man, move while you can move? And that's those are the two, the two things I think South has taught me in watching him. And he doesn't talk about it like. I've sat in camp and asked him, like, "Hey, what about this? Well, well, today you didn't you didn't do that. Why didn't you go after that deer?" And, and that's been kind of fun too. But yeah, he's just a super good guy to be around, and always first up, always first out of camp. I don't care how he's the oldest of all of us. He's a couple years older than me, but 
he's always first up, and his headlamp's always heading up the hill out of camp long before I'm ready to roll. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's solid. Yeah, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, I mean, I've been, I've been bow hunting collectively, bow hunting for, geez, I don't even know, 15 plus years, 20 years, maybe. How old? Uh, yeah, maybe 20. Well, not quite 20 years. Anyway, 15 years. And I feel like last year, um, I, I knocked down a buck in Nevada and it finally, after like 15 years, it finally, I finally like figured out what you're talking about that these guys do. And, and part of it was just the situation lined up for me because I'm, I'm the same way. Like you're saying all those mistakes that you're talking about, I consistently make them. And it usually starts not even on the stock. It starts when you glass them up because you know, when, when you first get into bow hunting mule deer, we're, we're talking bow hunting mule deer here. You're just so excited right. to see bucks that you don't care. You're just, well, there's, there's deer there. They have horns and, and, and they're probably, you know, one of them's probably a shooter or whatever in the group or in the whatever. And you're just like, I don't care. Um, like I I'm just going like, wh- what do you mean? We're not like, or, or the, the flip side, I'll do the other, I'll do the alternative where, Oh man, like, I, I don't know which, which way would you come in and your buddies are sitting there? Oh, what do you think? Like, where are they going to go bed? Yeah. If they bed there, like, I don't know. Do you think you could come around here? Yeah. I don't know. Well, they, they went here, they're going there. Like, oh man, I don't like, and all of a sudden two hours of that will go by. And that <laughs> sounds absurd, but it happens all the time. We'd be oh, sitting there totally and, like, and, and that deer has been bedded down for two hours and you're still up there contemplating yes or no or this way or that way or whatever um and you haven't even gone on the stock yet but yeah man last year and i've i've probably told this story but i finally just we we glassed the buck up he got to a point where he hard bedded it was i knew it was in a good spot and i just went i went down the back side of of the of the bowl that he was in so i was out of sight out of mind out of hearing sound and i was almost running and i'll tell you another Another mistake that I make in that situation is I'll stop. I, I used to stop and try to glass for other deer. Do you ever do that? Like you're crossing over mm-hmm. the backside of another basin and you just can't help because you know, there's, totally. bucks, you know, there's bucks in there. It may, maybe you've been there for five days and you've seen them. And then, so you're like, I just want to. And so I'll, st- I would stop for like 20 minutes and be like, well, let's see what's in here. And all the while that, like that clock's ticking on that buck that I bedded down and you don't have that sense of urgency when you need to. um, Yeah, I've totally, last year I did that one time where we were going on a stock, I was going on a stock and I stopped and I'm looking over, you know, it's always the other side of the ridge (laughs) syndrome. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what's over here. And I caught myself was like, duh, Kendall, don't be stupid. You're on a stock, like, like focus, like, and in new I say me and my business partner, he says it all the time. Like you're only good as your focus. And we're talking about business, of course, and what we're doing. The same thing goes for, for you're on a stock. If you're on a stock, don't, you're, you're not in the candy store anymore. You know, you're, you're, you're on a mission for a Snickers and you go in and get the, don't let the Butterfingers stray you or the <laughs> Kit Kat or whatever. You're on a mission for Snickers. So get in there get the Snickers and get out. And, and yeah, I've, I've caught myself doing that far too many times. If, if South, um, if South has a buck, like a buck that he wants to kill in a killable spot, has he ever, does he ever stop on a stock and glass another basin on his way? Never. <laughs> Guy goes. But yeah. he always has a back. 
if there's multiple deer, he has a backup plan, but he knows where he's going in for. Yeah. And he usually typically knows which buck he's going in for. Um, cool. The other cool thing I'll say about Tess South, if I can gush about him for one second, is the uh, he always he's 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 almost more excited about your kill than you are, if that makes sense. And and regardless of size, and his light, his face lights up, and he he genuinely is stoked for you, um, and he wants to hear the story, and that's just two years of hunting with him. Um, it, it's, it's impressive. It's, it's, and that's where he's, he's so humble. But, um, anyway, but that one thing I was going to mention about stalking deer that you reminded me of is sometimes and this is something I learned early and I'm not really that great of a deer hunter, please. I'm, I've been focusing on elk, you know, for these last, most of these last 10 years. But one of the things that, that early mistake I made was I see a deer, and I'm I'm at point A, and the deer's at point B, and so I assume that the only way I can go is is that straight line from A to B, and and it's hard sometimes to think, oh no, the really the best way is not the straight line. It's over here and over here and over here, and then come around and then under this, and then boom, you're there. Um, and I think that's an early that's a mistake that I, I still make. I'm like, there he is, let's go, and I shoot off, and then I haven't contemplated my actual path. Do you shy away from those, those, uh, roundabout routes because they're harder or because it just doesn't like always click that that's the most efficient way, like the, the, the quietest or the best way to get there. What is it? Is it because of the, the physical toughness that it would take Challenge, to go the, yeah. yeah. The investment. Yeah. The physical, sometimes you're like, well, the investment of doing that is not worth the reward of this particular animal. Um, I think it's both. I think sometimes it's like, you know, you either get excited or you're or you're new enough that you're like, I'm just going, and you're like, oh, I didn't even think about going around. Or you look at the the alternative, you're like, uh, I'm not up for that. I, I, I try and I mean, I I try and stay fit and I I lift and run and do things like that because I I don't I don't want to get to a point and my body will at some point say, Kendall, no more. Um, but I I don't want to have like I don't want to, uh, you know, jip myself or or lose an experience or opportunity because of my physical, you know, uh, inabilities to go after a particular buck. Yeah. Uh, there's a place that, that we hunt in Colorado. There's a spot we call Fantasy Island, and it's just this this kind of this peak out in the middle of this basin at the end of this basin, and it's it's a trek to get out there. And we see bucks out there, and and it's like. It's a haul, and I, I've been on one stock out to Fantasy Island and back. It's probably a seven-mile round trip back to maybe seven-and-a-half-mile round trip, like out and back, um, you know, and you're down 1,200 feet and then up and then down again and up. But if if a buck's there, it's killable, and it's, you know, I want to be able to say, yeah, let's go. Yeah. The next day might not be. You might not do. It. You might not do fantasy okay. in two days in a row. But. Just gonna glass from the tent today. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, what's when you experience failure on a hunt? What do you? Uh, what are some things that you tell yourself? Man, to, put, that's a to good push question. through that. Yeah, I think that failure. Failure is often measured like you missed that buck or 
you blew that stock. And, and it's hard, man. When you blow two, three, four stocks in a row, you start questioning sometimes, like, what in the heck? Um, you know, what am I even doing here? What, you know, I, I suck or I'm not this or that. And I think, um, it just, it's, it's hard. It's a mental game. You know, like we, you've talked, I've heard you talk before and, and we've talked, it's hunting in the back country is as much a mental game as it is a physical game. And so when I, when I don't succeed, um, you know, a lot of times, honestly, I'll just sit down, like I'll just sit down, kind of just take in where I'm at, start thinking a little bit more broad than that particular situation. I had a, I had a crappy situation two years ago. Um, I missed a, I missed this. I stalked down this finger ridge. There was a buck. Uh, he was about 40 yards off this ridge bedded. When it came to, when he, when I got to the point where I needed to be, he had actually gotten up and moved down. He was about 60 yards. And I felt very comfortable shooting that distance. So I shot once, missed him, like hard right. I'm like, what on earth? So I shot again, missed him again, hard right and low. I'm like, this is not good. He bounced, he was like confused, bounced out to about 68, 70. And I was like, yeah, I feel pretty comfortable, still shot. And uh, right underneath his, his, his uh, belly, shot again and missed him. Uh, and then my last arrow was my, uh, was my grouse tip arrow. <laughs> and I was like, half tempted to try that. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And my buddies in the meantime are up on, you know, up above me. So I'm like, Oh, this, uh, I don't even know what happened. Well, what I realized was I wasn't accounting for, there was a serious updraft and I just kept shooting right. And I was trying to adjust for it. And, uh, I just didn't think about it. So I went over there, retrieved my arrows. Um, and one, one had actually, you know, that little spot, um, down the bat, the hind leg where there's that little, that little spot between the two bones, there's a little bit of flesh right there. Yep. One arrow had actually gone through that part, and there was a couple of drops of blood, and I saw him gimp off a little bit, and then I watched him bound down the mountain. I was like, that's where I hit him. And uh, so I kind of said, okay, left my bow there, went back up, talking with the guys, um, and then Justin went off on the southern ridge. So I just unloaded my quiver. I'm like, okay. Two of my arrows were still shootable. The other two were, were toast. Jay and I start back down and I kind of just sat down. I just, I was frustrated, but I just sat down, looked around and was like, Oh, well, you know, this is day two of a 10 day hunt. It's cool. Um, you know, I blew a stock on the first day, just blew this killer, this opportunity on a really nice four by four. Um, I just took in like where I was at. I just looked around and said, man, it, it is such like a privilege to be here. And you know, yeah, I've worked hard and I've set aside this time all year and I've trained for this. But I don't, it's, it, you can't let that stuff, like all the investment you've made, you can't let that be like compounding to the errors you make because the errors are part of the learning process and part of the success process. And so I just kind of took it in, went back up, got my, got Jay. As we're coming down, these seven bucks come ripping over this ridge, this giant, like he was like Tyrannosaurus Rex ancient two by two. I mean, Sal saw him later and was like, oh, I would kill that buck without mm -hmm. even contemplating. He, he, was, he was the whitest, most heavy, biggest two-by-two, two, and gray is gray. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to kill that buck. So guess where my bow is? Yeah, like 40 yards above where that buck beds. And I'm like, unbelievable. I can't, and so I, put, I peel off my, my puffy, 
And Jay's like, I'm going to stay here. And I spent 45 minutes belly crawling through like six inch grass and over stones down like face. I would be face down for a little bit and then I would let my body slide because it was pretty steep. So I'd let my body just slide and then I'd go heel feet first down this. And, and I had a couple bucks kind of looking at me, but they were tired from running from over the other side of the mountain. Got down there. Guess what? I left my freaking release back up where Jay was when I took my puffy off. So here I just spent a, you know, an hour, just a comedy of errors, right? So I just started throwing rocks at these deer, trying to get them out of there. I didn't even think about pulling back, you know, just, you know, just fingering it. Fingers. I was so frustrated. I was so, yeah, using fingers. I was so frustrated. And, you know, I just like, you know, Jay starts laughing when he, when he came down and realized what was happening and what had happened. And I'm like, I just threw my arms up like, well, that's two major screw ups in one day on two bucks. I would gladly put on my wall, um, and, and, and in my freezer. So, you know, when you make those errors, you can't let, in my opinion, you can't let the investment of everything you've done up to that point compound the error. And secondly, like, you know, realize, you know, how blessed you are to be in that situation in the first place. Yeah. You know, regardless of the fact that you made an error and blew a killer situation, you'll you'll tell that story just like I just told that story. You'll tell that story again and again, and it'll be comedy and funny and interesting and you know worth learning from. So yeah, it's only that's my, it's only that's a, my my reply. It's only a mistake if you don't learn from it. And I'll bet you the next time you uh, take your puffy off or whatever you know whatever aspect of that story you want to recount, I'll bet you don't do that again. Oh yeah, release. <laughs> Check. At least check. <laughs> <laughs> Wind? Yep. Accounting for that. Check. Updraft check. Oh, man. Well, we're, uh, I, I've taken probably too much of your time. And I, I feel like, you know, there's, I, I, I've actually enjoyed all the podcast episodes that I've done. Um, there's just some of them where I know that if I let it go, like I could talk for six hours with guys like you. Um, and that's, maybe that's a good thing. That's Thanks. why I'm doing the podcast. And so, um, but man, what, uh, what, what do you have kind of just transitioning through here? What do you have coming up this year that you're excited about, or do you have any draws that you're waiting on or what, what do you have coming up? Yeah, good question. I'm, uh, I'm waiting on, well, I'm going back to Colorado. Justin and I are going to hunt a little more. So South is, we're going to be the rest South and with Jay, but Jay is going to be, uh, focusing more on south. Um, I guess Sitka would like to get some more pictures of traditional bow hunters, which is totally fine. We're, Jay and I will be um, kind of doing our, our, or excuse me, uh, Justin and I will kind of be doing our thing. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. That's that's kind of become, I think as long as I physically can do that hunt, I can't imagine the last week of August me not being in the high country in Colorado which three years, four years ago, I wouldn't have said that. No way. I would have been like, elk season, I'm hunting elk. Hmm. Um, I buy an over-the-counter Idaho elk tag each year, and most years I get to hunt that unless we draw something different. Um, didn't draw anything in Utah interesting, or my boys didn't draw anything. The last two years, they've both drawn uh, Manti archery elk, so that's been kind of my focus in September. Um, waiting on antelope, uh, just antelope doe and possibly an antelope buck for my sons in Wyoming. And I don't think we're going to draw Wyoming deer, but all four of us, my, me and my three sons and I, we all put in independently so that at least one of us may draw. Um, 
Those are cool. that would be those killer. are cool tags too, because uh, you know you kind of have uh, the flexibility of of archery or rifle, right? Yeah, totally. And I so I drew yeah, real quick aside. I drew I drew Region G four years ago with zero points, <laughs> and I was yeah. Uh, this is and I, I blew it because that same year I had Utah, Idaho, and Montana elk, oh, and again no. I was still elk crazy. So I'm like. Oh, I got this deer tag. Like I didn't even know what I had, and I only hunted two days rifle with that tag, and I I missed a really nice buck. Um, I was just like, okay, I just kind of shrugged my shoulders, and it wasn't until later that I realized like what I had had in my pocket. But I was I was too focused on trying to get three elk in one year. I got two of those three tags filled, and I was like bummed out that I didn't fill my Montana elk tag. But uh, so anyway, we're we're building back up and and but we're kind of like I don't know if G is going to be the one we do, but yeah. so waiting on Wyoming and then um, um, putting together maybe uh, maybe a, an Alaska situation, and then I'm going to Kentucky in uh, in November with my son, and then I'll go right before the ATA show because the ATA show is in Louisville, about 20 minutes from where the from the from the piece of land that I have. Uh, permission to hunt on so i'll get to hunt a couple days before at the ata show like i did last year they run that late into like january huh for white till yeah january 15 so i hunted last year like three days before ata and it was in indianapolis and i drove up to indianapolis which was only like an like a two-hour drive yeah so super fun to be able to hunt white tail in january so i'll do those two white tail stints and i love it i I, I love hunting whitetail. I just think it's a blast, especially in the rut because they're just crazy. Yeah. Um, the runner, there's just a ton of activity, and that's a fun one to go with my son because um, we we just you know the, we go go out to dinner every night. <laughs> we just it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, you need to mix one of those type of hunts in every so often. You know, even if you're the hardest core backcountry guy ever, like man, those those hunts where it's just it's it's almost more about the camaraderie and the experience and you might be you know I, I i think of our bear hunt that we went on last year up in idaho it was kind of that way we're staying in a little cabin and you come back and cook an elaborate meal or a breakfast and kind of sit around the campfire like just do yourself a favor and have one of those every once in a while i mean be be the hardest core backcountry guy and solo and all that cool stuff but but don't uh, don't miss out on those those cool like campfire stories whether you have boys or kids or um, just your good hunting buddies or your dad or whatever, because um, man, those those are just to me those those mean more, you know, sometimes than than actually killing a you know tagging out on some backcountry hunt. So that's cool. Yeah, enjoyment is always is not always just found ten miles in. It's uh, and especially hunting with my boys, like you have I have to make it enjoyable, like. Yeah. I'll, I'll let, I can, I can suffer plenty. I, I don't mind. I actually enjoy a good suffer fast, but my kids, not so much. Like, and I've put my oldest son, he's been through a couple of pack outs that would put most kids <laughs> down for months. And, and he, he still isn't that fond of those particular pack outs. But, uh, when we hunt, when we go hunting, like with the boys, I try and make sure that we eat good, that the kids have fun and we screw around a lot too. Like there'll be times where we just, laugh and screw off and just be just be kids you know all of us together so yeah those are fun 
and, What's, and that's, uh, despite my passion for backcountry, I do that too. So. I know I said I was going to wrap it up. Just one last question about your kids. What's uh, what's one thing that um, you kind of know now that you wish you would have known when you were their age as far as hunting? Oh, um, that I know now that I wish I would know. Well, that, that uh, that's a good question. There's things I would do different with my young, that I'm doing different now with my younger kids than with my older, but... Um, I think not, not to take the, the size of the animal so serious. Like what some, for some reason, you know, and that's what I've tried to in, in teach my kids. Like I tell my kids, shoot the first animal, like on their first deer, second deer, third deer, it's always like their choice. Like I'm always like, I, I don't want to start training my kids or teaching them like bigger is better because it isn't better. In my opinion, it's the experience is better. You, if that experience has reached the point of where you're like satisfied with the experience, dude, take the animal. It doesn't matter. And so I think I, I was kind of like wrapped up, you know, as most kids like, dude, you see that big buck that so-and-so shot or, and then you kind of get wrapped up in the bigger, the better animals. And, and, uh, so I've tried to teach my kids just like, Hey, just, just shoot the animal, right? Like just get the experience of shooting. If you're having fun, then, then let's just let's you know, if the experience has reached the point of where you're satisfied, make the shot. Let's, let's get it done. If not, then let's keep hunting. And if you want more time hunting, we'll pass and we'll move along. Well, and um, I, ironically, and the hard thing to get through, you know, a new hunter like a 16 or a 12 year old's head, is that if you look at all those guys that are tipping over. I mean, my brother's a good example. Um, you know, that tips over. Your brother's just, crazy. He's nuts right now. Um, but they all started, it's, it's like, I, I actually feel like the guys that just started out being willing to enjoy the experience and tip over, you know, whatever deer or elk gave them the opportunity for quite a few years, the size will come like, as, as, as you know, it's just kind of one of those things, like as soon as you don't care about it as much and you just start doing it to become a better hunter, the size will come. And th- and that's fine to be those guys that are, you know, that are hunting big Boone and Crockett or, or, uh, you know, 200 inch deer or whatever. Um, it, it, it will come. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's harder if that's how you start out and you don't teach yourself those experience, all the other experiences that come with hunting. Um, if you don't learn those, those lessons and stuff on, you know, whatever, a two point or a forked horn or whatever, a rifle hunt, you know, it, it, it'll, it, it'll, it'll come, the size will come. And not to diminish like the, having the ability to pass on an animal. Like I thought, I used to think that was just ridiculous, but, and, and sometimes I do still, cause I just want to put meat in the freezer, but, but having the, I don't know, the maturity perhaps, or the wherewithal to pass on an animal um, sometimes tells a lot about you, not necessarily that you're being super picky, but you're like, you're, you know, there's, there's a lot more to the experience of hunting than, than the kill. And then we all go out there for the purpose of killing and for, you know, putting meat in our freezer and feeding our families and other, and the enjoyment of simply like, Hey, I get to put that on my wall or decide, put it out on your back fence post. But the, it, it, there is something to be said about when you pass, like it's an interesting decision uh, making process and the ability to say i'm going to let this animal walk um when you know easily i could have harvested that or killed that yeah 
Awesome, Kendall. I know. Uh, so just wrapping up here, you're, um, you mentioned Camel Fire and Black Obus. Um, those are just kind of yep. online, uh, actually two different, um, you know, platforms to buy gear. One's, one's kind of a, you know, a try your luck discounted thing is what I try is what I call it. Cause you just never know what's going to pop up on Camel Fire. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the other one, Black Obus is, uh, you know, it's kind of more, I guess, more my style of just, I mean, you guys have, you carry most of the best, uh, backpacking type gear, um, for, you know, more extreme type hunts that's available. Um, yeah, we sell everything except everything but your weapon. And, uh, so if it's a rifle, we've got all the accessories for the rifle itself. And then from boots to hat and everything in your, in your camp, you know, everything you put on your bow, um, we do it all. And that's, we, you know, our, our purpose is trying to get all the, the best of the best gear and really sifting through. And we don't, you know, like, yeah, like we were saying with sleeping bags, like, you know, Kelty makes a good bag for a great situation. You know, even the Marmot, you know, Trestle's bag, for example, is comes around a hundred bucks and their higher end ones coming around 400 bucks, you know, but everything in between it's got, but it's gotta be like legit gear that we, uh, we would use personally. That's, That's awesome. kind of our focus there. And then you're tied then in we with, do, with my absolute favorite uh, boots on the, <laughs> on the planet, and I'll shamelessly plug it. I don't even care, but um, you you uh, are tied in with the crispy boots here in the U.S. at least. So, yeah, yeah, we're the authorized. Our our other company is uh, the Crispy U.S. We're an authorized dealer, our wholesaler for or distributor, excuse me, for all of uh, North America, U.S. and Canada. So. It's been, I will, that's been a great, great ride. I believe it's taken me quite a few years, but I've found the perfect hunting boot, in my opinion, these uninsulated uh, Nevadas. I'm looking at them right here. Um, and oh, I, wow. Yeah. Yep. Those un, uninsulated Nevadas, at least for an early season hunt, they're full leather. Um, they got the rubber rand, uh, Vibram sole, waterproof, breathable, um, but they've got just enough ankle support. Um, I, I'll tell you a quick story about those. And again, I, I was, I didn't have you on to brag about crispy boots. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I, I seriously don't care. Um, you got those to me last year, I think after they were released, um, it must've been right around August because I literally showed up and, and this is the cardinal sin, right? Of backcountry hunting. Um, I showed up to the trailhead and had never worn them ever. They were new in the box but I have enough experience with Krispies and I know how my, they fit on my feet and they just, um, the, the thing that I love about Krispies is they don't have an extreme break in period, but they still have enough, um, rigidity that you can, they're, they're perfect for a backcountry hunt. And so my story is I, I literally put those on my feet on the second trip back when I went with Corey, I, I hunted for seven or eight days originally and um you know Wes was there and we didn't get it done I came out and those were my I had my Idaho's on that I've hunted in for years I came out and Corey and I went back in a week or two later and those boots showed up I showed up I hiked in it's a 10 mile hike in um hiked around hunted killed my buck and hiked all the way out so easily easily over 20 miles, um, and, and probably closer to 25 by the time we were done, um, in a brand right. new, brand new pair of crispy boots. And I had not one blister on the entire bolt of my feet. Um, it's just, it's just when you find boots that, that work and, and fit and, you know, you don't have to worry about hot spots and blisters. It's just, oh man, it's so nice. And so, uh, 
such a relief. Boots are just such a pain in people's heels and what it's just like yeah but anyway lo- love my crispies yeah feet are feet are pretty interesting uh parts of our anatomy the uh yeah that's a cool story that's uh, we don't recommend guys do that no. but uh, no, and there, I, and there's I don't been either. more than more than a handful that have yep we we showed up to the trailhead on that same hunt years ago with another guy a buddy that was coming with us and he did the same thing with a completely different brand of boot and i was like dude and sure enough like golf golf ball size blisters uh by the pack Ooh. in um and it, it just it just didn't happen with these and so i wouldn't recommend it you need to put some miles on them um but they're just they're just built in a way that doesn't have that you know crazy uh for me they're the perfect uh compromise of you know flexibility and backcountry stability so anyway thank you uh you know th- thanks for uh coming on the podcast thanks for uh you, you know all the all the stuff you do for us and um where can people find you um i'm uh, i'm pretty rare on facebook and instagram <laughs> yeah. kendall kendall card i i poke around a little bit like and i i post once the blue moon but you know either on uh yeah i was scrolling instagram, i was kendall, scrolling through your kendall instagram oh sorry kendall on what is it kendall i think it's my full name kendall day card <laughs> you i don't think? know <laughs> I was scrolling through your feed and I only went like, it was like 20 photos back and I clicked on it. I'm like, man, what a great bowl or something that you had, or a tag that you had drawn. I was like, oh, he drew a sweet Utah tag. It was from 2014. <laughs> like It's only like 20 pictures back, man. So I'm like, I, people don't want to see what I've got on my phone or I, I don't know. I but guys that I work with always give me a hard time. Like, dude, you go on all these cool places, you know, cool <laughs> places, and and you never post anything. And I'm, I'm just, I don't know. I <laughs> got to do I, you, I man. Know. I, I enjoy sharing it, but uh, or just you know, I'm at, uh, you know, if if anyone ever wants to ask me questions about boots or gear or whatever, um, you know, call up Crispy or call up uh, Black Elvis, and and I'm easily, you know, not easily, but I'm, I can be found there, but. <laughs> Kendall J card on Instagram or, uh, or just Kendall card on Facebook. Cool. Hey, I almost forgot my fire round too. So real quick here, um, elk, oh. elk, mule deer or antelope? Elk still. Mechanical yeah. or fixed blade broadhead? Mechanical all the way. What's your, uh, back Except country? when I go to Idaho, Idaho yeah. needs to get with the times. Come on, guys. Yeah, Idaho. You know, <laughs> 20, 10, 15, 20 years ago, like, I understand because mechanicals were relatively sketchy back then. They've I, I they've figured them out now. You know, Aaron Snyder will argue with me, and he knows a lot more about archery than I have even <laughs> ever will. Um, but I, I'm, I'm the guy that he talks about that sucks at tuning bows, and so, you know, he says mechanicals are for guys that don't know how to tune bows. Yeah, that What's, what's your uh, what's your go to backcountry rifle caliber? Uh right now six five Creedmoor for sure. And I and shameless plug for a Kimber, but that, that thing is so light. Oh man. I sometimes when I hold up that rifle in its bag, I'm like, is it even in the bag? <laughs> yeah, that it's ridiculous. Yeah. What's your uh, dream hunt? I was lucky enough to actually go on my dream hunt last year of <laughs> doll sheep in Alaska, which is just unbelievable. Blew my mind that I was actually doing that. Um, 
now man, the next thing I really want to do is is a is a goat mountain goat hunt, whether it's here in Utah or like Kodiak Island in Alaska or uh, British Columbia. I'm I'm kind of honing on one of those. Love to do it with a bow. That's that would be my preference. What's your uh, favorite backcountry food item? Smoked salmon. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, I uh, the, two things. Number one is I always take a uh, a, a really good bar of uh, dark chocolate, and that's kind of my victory lap bar that mm. I eat every time at you know after I kill. Um, and uh, as much as people love to bag on Mountain House. I, I love turkey tetrazzini, and I always make sure that I take at least one of those on uh, into the backcountry. It's just, I don't know, maybe it's, I don't care about the salt perhaps or whatever, but that particular meal is my favorite. Sweet. Okay, last question for you, Kendall, and then I'll let you go. Why, and, and we, we almost started with this, but this is a little bit different angle. Why do you hunt the backcountry? Yeah, it's interesting. Without getting too long into the answer um there's this there's this phrase that people use nowadays and they they say like oh you know you need to take some time off re- and recharge your batteries and um and i've thought about that statement like we say that you know people say that in the works work situation you know wherever you work you probably hear someone say oh i got you know take a day off recharge your batteries for me going in the backcountry is so much more than recharging batteries it's like like drinking from the is is I don't try not trying to wax too poetic, but it's like drinking from the fountain of life. Like I think part of the reason I exist is because I need to be in the mountains and getting into the backcountry. Not just recharge; it doesn't just recharge my batteries. It like helps me. It helps me feel like that's that's part of the purpose of me being even alive is experiencing that. And that's that might sound weird, but. It does something for me uh, that that simply you know hiking a, a mountain here on the Wasatch Front. You know I love hiking mountains, but getting farther away, like just feels like that's what life is is meant to be for me. So that's why I go in the backcountry. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do. Leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit FindingBackCountry.com.